0: Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity
1: in a special repeat performance.
0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. You know, it is time for the Sunburnt series. Continue this through the summer. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are excited to have Dr. John Marriott on today. We're going to get to him uh, in just a minute or two. Uh, Peter, hi. Hello, Bill. Uh, that
2: was pleasant. <laughs> 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 but, but you didn't leave me a big opening. I didn't, didn't say anything. No, I didn't. just you know I, I was just greeting you. But let's
0: tease what's happening in the fall. When our series changes from Sunburnt series, which is kind of random throughout the summer, to right. what we're doing in the fall we're going to do what? Do you well,
2: remember? Well, we, we, we talked about it a minute ago, but my attention span is not like. So yes, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, my understanding is we're going to do some things around the Old Testament, which especially some of the more obscure places in the Old Testament we will cover some of the main characters, you know, the Moseses and Josephs and Daniels and Jeremiahs. But there, there's a lot of, you, you could probably list, I don't know, 10 different names right now. And I would probably be 50-50 as to whether or not they were Old Testament characters because there's just so many and, and in terms of obscure people but had meaningful impact too. So it's going to be a good series in the Old Testament. It's
0: kind of like Sunday school for Old Testament. So many characters yeah, I, think this I mean is exactly could you right. give
2: me 90 seconds right now on Zephaniah could you uh, no, there's no chat yeah, I, so. I, I, I could give you you know <laughs> David in the giant pickle Josh in the big wall there's a right. lot I could give you yeah. from veggie tales but yeah. not
0: not from this yeah so you're not super helpful right now but
2: <laughs> not at
0: all that's okay the topic today is uh challenging and it's uh, a little heavy it's we're going to talk about deconversion where people say look at I'm kind of done with my Christian faith or my Christian walk and it's gonna. It's a very. I think it's a very difficult subject. And but I, I hear from a lot of listeners that my son, my daughter, someone is drifting away from the faith. They've decided they don't want to be Christian anymore. And there's a lot of pretty famous Christians
2: today who are authors and pastors who have said the same thing. Yeah, I, I really. This is a challenging topic. You said maybe even somewhat heavy. And and I find myself in a given week in the positions that I'm in living in two different worlds. One of the worlds is sort of organized Christianity as it currently exists and as it has existed over the past generation or two. And some of my dearest friends, some of the most uh, beautiful spiritual moments, some of the, the most challenging moments, ways in which my faith have been formed have all found their place in institutional christianity over these years but then the other part of my life is i spend with young people week in and week out uh, every tuesday thursday teaching at the university of northwestern st paul and i think that had i not been teaching in the classroom these past several years like that i would have underestimated the amount of deconversion that's happening The, the amount of young people that aren't interested in participating in the same kind of institutional organized christianity i'm sure we're going to talk about it quite a bit this hour but you know, things like the moral failures of the leadership and other things has just really, it's taken its toll on the next generation.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to go to the Biola bullpen today.
2: Well, that—that that is a deep bullpen. <laughs> 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 there's, yeah, no. Yeah. There's lefties and righties. They can go extended they, Indians one out at a time. There's yeah. many of them.
0: It's there. like a bunch of Mariano Rivera's it, in there. It
2: really is. Yeah. It really and is. And right
0: now warming up uh, in the bullpen is Dr. John Marriott. I love it. He is the research and program coordinator for Biola University, Christian for uh, Center for Christian Thought. Professor of philosophy at Biola, also teaches at Talbot School of Theology, and I bet he knows a lot of the people we know and like as well. I bet he does. Let's bring him on, John. Welcome.
1: Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, we love uh, our Biola peeps, <laughs> like uh, Eric Tannis. You Do you know Eric?
1: I do know him. Yep. Yeah, we
0: love him. We do. And yeah. we call him T Dog around here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good, a lot of good folk there at. Uh, There's
1: a, yeah, there is. There's a lot of, a lot of great people there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of great people in the Midwest, too. I'm, I'm really excited to be on with you because I used to live out uh, by you guys. Whereabouts? Uh, I was in Dubuque, Iowa for oh, wow. a few years at uh, Emmaus Bible College, and I love the Midwest. And uh, so when I heard that you guys wanted to have me on, I was thrilled to be part of the show.
0: I see you're not complaining though about Southern California winters.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I haven't had to shovel my driveway since I've been here, and I'm originally from Canada. So, oh uh, wow, I really appreciate I really appreciate the winter down here. That's for sure.
0: So I have to ask every Canadian, what hockey team do you follow?
1: Well, I'm embarrassed to say this on the air, but it's the Toronto
2: Maple Leafs. Oh,
0: no, that's okay. I mean, it's embarrassing to admit, but...
2: I, I, I think I'm between the like, lack of shoveling and, and the hockey choice, Bill, <laughs> can we find a new guest from Biola here today? Well, we can't We can't until the break. <laughs> okay, okay, We're stuck we with can. him until the first break. Yeah, eight break. minutes is fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I got to say, John,
0: this is a heavy topic, but uh, you handle it beautifully, and your book, The Anatomy of Deconversion, uh, you've written three different books on deconversion. It's a troubling topic. Mm.
1: Very much so, yeah. It, um, it certainly isn't one that um, uh, probably brings a lot of people uh, a lot of peace or uh, encouragement, although I think there is some encouragement to be found in it, but you're correct. It's um, it's uh, a sad one, but unfortunately it's one that is becoming more of a, a, an issue, I think, than it has been in the past for the Church to deal with.
0: I know you've done a lot of research on your book. Did you primarily uh, interview uh, people that you understood to be believers of the faith that are just saying, uh-uh, I'm done? I'm abandoning it.
1: Yeah, so I started out by uh, interviewing about 30 folks who uh, identified as, a, as Christians, and what I, I had a criteria. I, I said, you have to have had uh, at least some kind of religious conversion experience, whether that was even as a child or as an adult, but you had to come to the place where you recognize that Jesus um, died on the cross for your sins, and that he had risen from the grave, and that he was uh, your Savior that you were committed to that you had to have a a generally high view of the Bible. You didn't have to necessarily think that it was inerrant, but you had to think that it was the inspired Word of God and that you were trying to live your life by it, and that you had to be involved in some kind of a church community in a meaningful way, whether that was just a regular attender or you were in ministry. And those are the folks that I started out with, and then uh, I moved on to just uh, a a lot more narratives of people who had written their stories online and tried to also... um, keep my uh, narrative reading or my story or testimony reading online to folks that were um, similar kinds of demographics.
0: John, one of the um, questions I have right right off the top of my head is are there, did you discover there were levels of deconversion? I mean, do they piecemeal their way out or is it uh, all happen at once?
1: Um, Yeah. For the, the vast majority of people, they will uh, slowly over time lose their faith or come to a place where they no longer can identify as a Christian. Very few have kind of an epiphany, an aha moment where they say, oh, I was fully on board with this, but then I read one book and it it, uh, caused me to shipwreck my faith. Most people kind of go through a cumulative case, kind of a process for faith loss. They just start having one doubt after another, after another, and then eventually it's not as though... That they have renounced their faith, uh, and, and some certainly do for a particular reason, like maybe some moral issue. But for the most part, people lose their faith in God and in the Bible um, in the way that people lose their belief in Santa Claus. Like, right? Just over time, you just grow up and realize uh, this Santa story doesn't actually fit into the world as I understand it now, and I can't make it fit in no matter how hard I try. And so I either have to renounce pretty much everything I believe about the world and and hold to the Santa Claus belief, or I have to acknowledge that I don't think Santa exists. And so it's sort of a long process, and, and I don't want to equate believing in God and believing in Santa Claus, but the process of, of how people kind of lose the faith, for the most part, uh, looks more like that.
2: John, I was talking with my 19-year-old daughter, Anna, yesterday, and she said it this way, I think similar to what you're trying to get at, is is that she notices among a lot of her friends that they think they've met Jesus or they think they've met God in the way that at least Jesus or the, the Trinitarian life was introduced to them. And they kind of find it wanting and they walk away. And her concern was, is well, maybe the way Jesus was portrayed to them to begin with wasn't actually the Jesus of the Bible, wasn't actually Jesus of the kingdom. So they're rejecting some sort of depiction of Jesus that institutional Christianity is portraying, but it isn't actually faithful to Jesus. And so people kind of walk away and say, huh, tried did that. That wasn't really for me.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's really consistent with what I, I hear or what I think I discern a lot in folks. And unfortunately, what happens is uh, many people have been handed to them uh, a very large, fragile, uh, inflexible, almost house of cards kind of faith. And they've been told this is what it means to be a Christian. And so you have to accept this entire house. And if you pull out one of the cards in a house of cards, the whole house collapses. And when beliefs or pictures of Jesus or or um, wedding okay. certain political positions or practices or tertiary or, 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 or minor doctrines, when you make those all non-negotiable and you tell someone um, it's all or nothing because being a follower of Jesus is, is all or nothing and, and this is what it means to follow Jesus, you set them up with an ultimatum that says you either— um, you either uh, accept all of this or you can't be a christian and unfortunately the picture that some people have of jesus and and the church is uh, sorry and and what it means to be a, a disciple of his i think your daughter's very correct on is a misguided picture and in some ways there's some hope there because maybe what they're rejecting then isn't really jesus and and what it means to to follow him and if you've gone down the wrong road the best way forward is actually to come back and start over and so it's not always a bad thing that people, um, in in a sense, sort of deconvert, if you will.
0: Dr. John Marriott is our guest. And John, I'd love for you, uh, we're going to take a break here in a couple of minutes, but um, talk about the definition of deconversion. Maybe we should start there.
1: Is a deconvert, or they uh, go through the process of deconversion when they come to the place where they renounce or they reject the beliefs that they once identified with, and they step outside of the community that they were once a part of. So, for someone who was a Christian, they say, uh, "I don't believe in uh, the truthfulness of the of the Christian narrative anymore. I don't believe in the in the gospel story. I, I might not even believe God exists, uh, but I'm maybe agnostic about that." And I no longer identify uh, as a follower of Jesus, and I am no longer part of the community that um, Christians should be a part of, which is a church of some kind. And so that would be someone who would, who would be a deconvert. It's almost an, uh, sort of a, a reversal or an undoing. And by undoing, I don't mean a, a spiritual undoing. I'm not saying that they were once saved and then they've lost their faith, but it's an undoing of what they had done in the past when they did identify with all of those things.
0: All right, we'll take a little break. Dr. John Marriott is our guest. His book is The Anatomy of Deconversion. He also uh, acts kind of with a lot of swagger when he checks into a Marriott hotel.
2: And they offer him a 2% discount
0: based on his last name alone. So very impressive when people hear those stories, time permitting.
2: Yeah, well, I think clearly we have another at least 15 minutes ahead. That eight minutes went really well. It did did go well. It did, indeed. We'll commit to the next segment. For sure, next segment for sure. (laughs) We're sorry, John. We're just having fun.
1: All Actually, right. This goes both. This goes both ways, guys. So I, <laughs> 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 That's what
0: makes us nervous. That's
2: <laughs> <am> very fair, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> All right. We'll take
0: a short break and be right back with uh, Doctor John Marriott. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. time of the week where we do the sunburnt series. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so glad to have as our guest Dr. John Marriott. He's the research coordinator for the Biola University Center for Christian Thought. He teaches in the philosophy department at Biola and also teaches at Talbot School of Theology. He serves as consulting editor for the theological journal journal sacrum testamentum i didn't know i'd be speaking latin today. that was
2: really impressive for, <laughs> for a dead language you crushed it on that thank line. you you totally thank did you. i yeah. took
0: uh, i took four years in high school i believe that yeah <laughs> i've never been able to use it though because i've never been to latin america but you know <laughs> it is fun to get it out
2: once in a while it is indeed, and i think i indeed. crushed that i did it, just, didn't I? it
1: rolled off the tongue
0: it was
2: almost like a jeopardy i should ask john. did, that, right did i say it, that yeah.
1: right john uh yeah as far as i know it sounded perfect to me well, you could have been a little bit more encouraging.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Commit to a little bit more
2: encouragement would be helpful. Right. It
1: was a, that was outstanding.
2: Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't seem patronizing at all. No. That was so authentic. Like, I love no. it. <laughs> John, I'm just curious, following up with where we just were about deconversion and about um, maybe meeting the Jesus that uh, of an institutional church or situation, but but finding it wanting. I'm curious if you can comment a little bit about the phrase you were using, I think a couple times in our first segment, and that was the phrase, uh, follow Jesus. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I think one of the things I find among my young people is they think that Christianity just boils down to an event that happened on a Friday afternoon where Jesus sort of took the blow on our behalf for sins and they get positioned properly for heaven when they die. And then they sort of move on with their life. But my best understanding of the biblical text is Jesus just kept saying over and over again, so you follow me, and you follow me, and you follow me. And, and it's a, a much more expansive and robust invitation than just the idea of doing some sort of ritual to get yourself positioned on the other side.
1: Well, I, I completely agree. I think when at the beginning of Mark, when it says, and this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, mm. um, it, the gospel is Jesus Christ. Right? It's not necessarily a plan, although you have to have some knowledge of him, but it really is. A person, and I, I see it as having enough reasons to have a, a hope worth acting on, and and it's a pledging of allegiance to Jesus. It's not just believing certain things, and I think sometimes we kind of make a dichotomy that says you need to believe this, and you also need to trust. And I think the idea of allegiance or pledging allegiance or loyalty or fidelity, it kind of brings those two together in one concept, and recognizing that. Um, that he is who he claimed to be, and that he calls us to, to follow him and to take up our role in the story and to play our part. And sometimes we will not have really a high psychological confidence in the story. There are, there are some days where I see something terrible on TV, and I think, man, how could God allow such a horrible thing to happen? And, and that really runs up against the grain of who I think God is and his kindness and his love. Um, but yet I still say, but I have enough good reasons, even though my confidence may have dipped a little bit here, to continue to live out in faith the story as being true and taking up my part and playing my role. And, and I think that we do a disservice to folks when we preach them a, a truncated gospel that just says, Jesus came just to save you from some sins so that you can go to heaven when you die, as opposed to the really great news that Jesus has come into the world. To ultimately make all things new, to bring about the peace and the shalom of God, to reverse the curse. He gives meaning to the cultural activities that we do, and, and, and the entrance into this grand kingdom and family that he has inaugurated is by way of the salvation message that is that you can't enter in on your own because you're a cosmic rebel, but Jesus has become your substitute, and when we recognize that, we enter in. I, I think that's a much more robust, it doesn't fit into four spiritual laws uh, as nicely. It's harder to package in a in a short soundbite. But but I think that is a much more robust version of of the good news of Jesus than just simply um, we had a sin problem that he addressed. And if you believe the right things, then God kind of just checks you off on the list and you're in.
2: Yeah, that sounds like the language of the resurrection, John. It sounds like what you're, what people are being invited into is a resurrection kind of life, where they're engaging in a life where the power of sin and death has been broken. It doesn't mean we're not affected by it, because we are, but we live by a different way and a different power and a different means at that point. And that would be a, maybe a more robust gospel than just getting positioned on the other side. There's a different way of life we can live in this life.
1: For, oh, for sure. Correct. I agree with that.
2: John, I've got a... Uh couple of questions that are kind of flooding
0: in but I I would also love for you to tell your story and I heard you talk about this your uh, friendship or your uh, connection or admiration for Jonathan Edwards and when I first started you hear that story I thought well John must be a little nuts because (laughs) he's talking about the track star Jonathan Edwards and like you knew him and I thought ooh, he's, he's out there. <laughs> but there's actually a British mm. track star named Jonathan Edwards, mm-hmm. who you know, who you admired, whose character and strength and faith was just inspirational. Would you tell that story, please?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I was at a Division One school on a track and field scholarship doing the triple jump, and um, I had done really well in high school, but the transition from high school to college had been rough. I had gotten an injury, and I wasn't able to re- recover the form that I once had. And and, and I felt as though I wasn't putting, uh, I wasn't um, holding up my end of the bargain. And uh, I was really, really struggling and, and really frustrated and finding no uh, relief from that. And uh, at that same time, there was a, a guy who had been on the scene for years but had never done anything uh, spectacular. And his name was Jonathan Edwards. He was a triple jumper from Great Britain. And uh, in 1995, Edwards broke the world record uh, three times, twice in one meet, went over 60 feet, uh, the first person to, to ever do that, and he was the the UK athlete of the year. He was a track and field international athlete of the year and world champion. And um, the British press was more impressed with his personal life than they were his athletic accomplishments. Uh, one article I read said because he was a squeaky clean guy who loved Jesus and was more comfortable leading worship songs back in the athletes village than he was giving interviews about his uh, great athletic accomplishments. And so he became a hero of mine. And um, I, the more I learned about him, the more I felt I had some things in common with him. Uh, and um, he was kind of the person that I, I really wanted to be. In fact, he is a, was almost a contemporary uh, Eric Little because he missed an entire Olympics because he felt as though he shouldn't compete on a Sunday. So he was very committed to his faith, he was very well known as a believer, and he had broken the world record, and so I was in the throes of my own struggle, and we were at Florida State University for um, a track meet, and my teammate came and said, you'll never believe who's in the weight room, and it turns out that it was Jonathan Edwards had come from the UK to train in the wintertime at Florida. So I had felt like God had providentially arranged the events of the universe to you know for my my favor here because this is the one guy if you would have said who could you talk to i would say jonathan edwards you know he would understand (laughs) so here he is and so i walked in and after he was done working out i told him my sad story and he said i'm not a great coach but my coach is a great coach so how about i connect you with him for the track part and you and i go out for lunch so he took me out for lunch we picked his wife up allison from a bible study and he told me about how when he was done competing he wanted to go to dallas theological seminary and study theology we talked more about uh, theology and, and biblical studies and we did the triple jump. And, uh, he connected me up with his coach, gave me some advice. And then, um, the, tra- you know, then w- we parted ways. Um, and I went back to, um, I went back and, you know, we had the meet and then I went back to, uh, where our university was. And then, uh, I followed his, his career and he eventually, you know, won the gold medal and he had done absolutely everything. And, uh, in 2007, I found out that he was uh, the the host of the largest Christian television program in the world. It had been broadcasting for the longest period of time. It was called Songs of Praise out of out of the UK. He was the host of that. And uh then a couple of years later I logged into the internet and I typed in Jonathan Edwards and I had found out that Jonathan Edwards, the man who had no skeletons in his closet, was more renowned for his Christian faith and his athletic ability, he was the host, and maybe one of the most well-known evangelical Christians in all of the UK had lost his faith and was no longer a Christian. Mm. And so that's what sent me down the road of saying, how did this happen? And if it happened to him, how do I know it won't happen to me? And and I started to find out that it had happened to a lot of other people.
0: That's an unbelievable story. I appreciate you telling it, and that was one of the things that got you uh, started on your own journey to figure out why people are doing this deconversion.
1: Correct. That's right. And what I found was that he's just the tip of the iceberg. There are celebrities that we hear about quite regularly these days who have decided they—or not decided, but they they no longer identify as, as Christians, and for every one of those, there are thousands more uh, people who you never hear about but who have posted their Narratives or their testimonies online, saying why they don't believe anymore. Yeah,
0: John, we've got some uh, great questions coming in, but we're up against a hard break, so I'm going to hit pause until we come back from our break. Uh, this is a very challenging topic, and a lot of people are asking some really good questions. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, you're you're free to get up and. Get a glass of water or something, but you you best you best be here when we come back. But yeah, we,
2: we, we need some hope when we come back. Yeah, here. Well,
1: <laughs> as long as you promise to ask, as long as you promise to ask the questions in Latin, I'm. I'm
0: not <laughs> I'll make sure he's brushing up at the break here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Doctor John Marriott is our guest. His book is called The Anatomy of Deconversion. If you have a question or comment, let us know. What it is eight seven seven nine 2484 Be right back. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold.
1: Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
2: Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? It's the
1: afternoon
0: show. show. With Bill All right, we are back with Dr. John Marriott, and he's written a book called The Anatomy of Deconversion. He's authored three different books on deconversion. He is a, a research and program coordinator at Biola University. And during the break, uh, Peter and I, uh, John, were talking quite a bit, and usually, Peter does solitaire on his phone, but this
2: is <laughs> such an engaging conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This break, he
2: was talking 100 miles an hour and he had a great question. So Peter, ask it. Well, I'm just curious, John, what you would say, even in follow up to somewhere where we've been already is if we're talking about deconversion, we're talking about people saying no to something. But in in your research and as you talk to people, what did they think they were saying yes to to begin with that they ultimately then say I'm saying no to that?
1: I think it's different for a lot of them, probably hard to generalize. I think that what they were what they thought that they were saying yes to in in many cases, but not but certainly not all. but I would say you know if you were looking at a a pie and you were to cut the pie into pieces and like a pie chart i I would say at, you know a, a good quarter of of the folks that that I'm familiar with would have thought that they were saying yes to. Um, Kind of an entire system, an entire uh, way of of believing and living that was probably far more legalistic and rigid and elevated a number of practices and beliefs to a much higher level than what they should have been. And they were okay with that when they first signed on, probably because they didn't maybe think about it or maybe know much about it or they were raised in that, that system. And then, as they got older, they found it uh, a, a weight that was too heavy to bear. And and sometimes I, I want to say this cautiously, uh, and as charitably as possible. But sometimes, as uh, you know, we can be like the Pharisees and how they bind heavy burdens upon people, and we don't lift. They didn't ever lift it a finger to to help them. Or uh, like Saul, who put all this heavy human, this heavy man armor on Dave, the little boy David to go out and and, and fight, and they, it, David wasn't able to to bear it. And um, I, I've just Talked to lots of people who were very passionate and very committed in their teen years um, to all kinds of uh, minor points of theology that they thought were essential to being a Christian. And if you didn't hold these things, then you really weren't being faithful to the Word of God. And as they got older, they started to think, well, if this is Christianity, uh, I kind of want out. This is just a burdensome system.
0: John, I'm wondering about churches. Are, Are they teaching sound doctrine? Are the sheep being fed? Or not, and if they're not being fed, of course they'll be vulnerable.
1: Yeah, I, I do. I did find that there were. Um, I would say um, it was not uncommon to hear people have um, not always bad theology, but maybe not complete theology. They do believe that um, Jesus can provide them with a meaningful life. That Jesus can provide them with an abundant life that living according to the to the you know the bible can cause them to flourish as a human being because that's what they were designed to do but the other side of that coin sometimes is is not maybe taught that says and and yet as you read through the scriptures you'll find that there's a lot of people who were very faithful and really did follow um, Yahweh or follow the Lord Jesus closely who went through a, a lot of hardship and a lot of heartache and God didn't behave the way that they expected him to all the time and um, when God doesn't expect when people when God doesn't act the way that that sometimes people expect him to um, there's a sense of betrayal there's a sense of frustration um, almost uh, a bit of a I'm, I'm not going to give you what you want in return which is worship and my my belief because how could I live this way for you? And then this terrible thing happened to me. And, and so I don't think we maybe have done a, a really good job of, of kind of giving people the whole picture of what it looks like to, to uh, follow Jesus. Jesus himself says to the disciples in John 16, I'm saying these things to you so that when these hard things happen, you won't fall away. And so we need to let people know that hard things can happen.
2: If we were standing back then at that time when Jesus was saying to follow me like that, uh, John, and and agreed, I mean, so much of the New Testament and and the Pauline letters is encouraging people to persist in the following of Jesus in the midst of difficulty and hardship. If if we were standing there back then and he was saying, follow me, what, what would they have thought they were signing up for that may be a little bit different than how we sometimes think what we're signing up for some 2000 years later? How did they see it?
1: Well, I, I think if we were with them at the time, they would have thought, like, follow me meant literally follow Jesus wherever he goes and walk and listen to him and teach as he's the rabbi, and they would have been the students. Um, I think that, you know, of course, that's not the position for uh, us today. But um, as we look back and we say, "Oh, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then I should expect that I might get some of the same treatment that Jesus would have received, that, um, that he experienced persecution, that he experienced hardship, that he even— in some way, and it's mysterious, in some way on the cross, he feels that he is uh, forsaken by God, and 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 yet at the very end of his life, he still commits his spirit into God's hand, so there's still a, a trust there. But um, I think that perhaps sometimes we don't do uh, a sufficient job of articulating the fact that we all have deep inside of us this um, assumption of what, what sometimes is called the reciprocity principle, that if I do something for you, I kind of expect you to return the favor when I need it. And when that doesn't happen, then I get frustrated with you. And I think we do that with God quite a bit. And, and I, in my own life, have found instances where I've said, Lord, I'm on the verge of losing my house and my car and taking my kids out of school and having to move in with my in-laws because I thought I was following you and I thought I was doing something for you, which I've tried to do for most of my life. And now we're on the verge of financial ruin. And to my embarrassment, the question that I asked was, and so this is what I get? <laughs> and 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 here I am, you know, someone who's teaching theology at a seminary, and I realize that deep down inside of me, I still operate with God on kind of this reciprocity principle. And so I, I, I think that uh, we don't do maybe a, a real great job of unearthing those things and, and helping people recognize that that the life that we're living in relationship with God isn't always going to look like the way that we envisioned it. Mm.
2: So so what would be the good news then in the midst of all of that, and if it's not a, a relationship of reciprocity, like you said, where we do good things and then God does good things for us and then we do good it's not about that. Uh, where is the good news if we are sort of signing up for a life of hardship and difficulty in the midst of a broken world?
1: I think that the, the good news is, is again, I think it's Jesus. I think that the good news is that in in following Jesus, we, in the midst of suffering and hardship and difficulties, find ourselves on a deep level flourishing as, as human beings if we continue to persevere and endure and seek after him, right? And so I think that God can God can and does redeem that suffering and that there's a good in the hardship that comes and that God uses it to shape us and mold us more into the person of his Son, and we change bit by bit, um, like Paul says, from sort of from glory to glory, and uh, he conforms us in those ways. And, and ultimately, that is a good for us. And we can't trust God for things he hasn't promised, but we can trust his character. And his character is revealed in the fact that he loves us so much that he's willing to send his son and, and die for us. So when we don't understand, and it is difficult, and it is hard, and we can't find his leading hand there, um, that we can uh, at least Say I can look back to the cross and see that in Jesus, God is trustworthy. And then I can look forward to the future and say that He has a good end in mind for me. And in the middle, I'm not exactly sure what my path will be, but I know that He won't leave me and He won't forsake me and that He goes with me through this, even though there might be times when I don't understand, which is exactly what happened with the disciples. Because when Jesus says, I'm going to leave you, um, their questions are, uh, Where are you going? And, um, and why is this happening, and how long is it going to be? And, and Jesus never answers the um, why is this happening and how long it's going to be, because he's more concerned with what they will become through the process, and I think that's similar to us.
0: Dr. John Merritt is our guest, very smart guy who grew up in Canada and now lives in Southern California, so that's... That
2: would would be evidence of the intelligence. Oh, no. I mean, no question. I thought you were going to say despite growing up in (laughs) (laughs) Canada.
1: Maybe despite cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs, that's probably true. Yeah,
0: (laughs) indeed. That is on your permanent record, by the way. Um, (laughs) When we talk about following Jesus and you think, I'm going to believe what God's word says, whether I like it or not, and I'm going to receive what God brings into my life, whether I like it or not, then then you've sort of turned yourself over to him and you're, in fact, following him. But if if you live on the quid pro quo standard, it's not going to go well.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it won't go well because God will very seldom meet your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. Why are we all chuckling right now? Yeah, <laughs> we can all resonate with that comment for sure. And yeah. and yet I'm guessing, too, when you when you keep saying yes like that. Well, I, I'm not just guessing, John. I think we all know, too, when you keep saying yes in the midst of all of that, you, you find a, a sweetness and a depth. You used the phrase uh, a depth of flourishing a little bit ago. And I think sometimes we think of flourishing as that we have the money and, and, and the, the health and the things that we think we need in this life. But you're talking about a much deeper anchoring of flourishing in which you can flourish in the midst of all of those things.
1: Oh yeah, for sure, right? Um, one of the things we know is that uh, it doesn't matter how much money you have as long as you have enough to survive and a little bit more, your happiness doesn't go up no matter how much more money you get. Probably your, uh, your happiness might even decrease. Um, so it's definitely not in celebrity or happiness or, or having enough money or, or being even uh, physically healthy, although those are none, all of those things are, 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 are fine. It is it is on a much deeper level, um, sort of a soulish kind of level of flourishing.
0: John, do you take questions, and what do you charge?
2: Well, uh, because
0: Peter will will (laughs) venues. Yeah, I got the
2: Venmo account (laughs) called up here, John. We're happy to do it.
0: This is one just came in. This just came in. How can a young adult whose parents have lost their faith Mm. minister to them? This is especially difficult, considering it was the parents who originally trained up their kids in faith and brought them to church. Yazers.
1: Wow. So, f- first, um, let me just say I uh, I'm really sorry to hear hear that. That has got to be incredibly incredibly hard and and frustrating. And there's always a sense of betrayal. I think when people walk away from the faith uh, that you were once identified with, that you were in. Union with that you are heading in the same direction with you were on the same team, and then when they kind of leave, there's a sense of hey, w- what's happening here? And and for a friend to do that's one thing. For parents to do that, I would imagine that that hurt is is even greater. And so it's a different dynamic between parents and children, and when it's vice versa, um, because there is a natural respect level, and and there is a, an honoring that you have to do with with parents. Um, that you, that, that's a little bit different when it's the other way around. But um, I think there are some principles that are the same. And, and one of them would just be, I think, that we need to love people. I mean, we, we really need to just to love them. And, and I think that you can love someone and say that you don't agree with them. But hearing them and listening to them and affirming their, them, them as, per, as persons, and that um, you haven 't rejected them, and that uh, you don't think that they're horrible people is probably a, a good way to start if you have a relationship where it 's not one where there is um, where, where they would perhaps maybe uh, um, negatively impact your faith, then I think that there can be dialogue and listening and asking and, and trying to hear where they're where they're coming from. Another thing would be to remember that um, you know, Peter is not Judas, and and Peter went through a period, albeit short, where he said, uh, you know, he denies Jesus three times, and um, yet we know that Peter was still in process; he was still a follower. And then Judas denies Jesus, but he never returns in any kind of in 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 any way at all. And and so no one's people are like books; the you know they're not done until the last chapter is written, and and people who are still in process still have this um, potential to for God to grab a hold of them and, and them to return and there's lots of stories of that happening with folks.
0: We are talking about why believers lose their faith and what they're thinking and has been discussed in John Marriott's book, The Anatomy of Deconversion. He covers that. If you have a question or a comment, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484, Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are hosting our sunburnt series just around the corner in September. We're going to start talking about characters of the Old Testament. That should last for at least six months. I would think so. If I think not there's longer. a lot of them. Yeah, yeah it there is. is. It yeah. Did. We'll be back with John in just a minute. to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a Special Repeat Performance. I'm back with Doctor John Marriott and Doctor Peter Kapsner. Do either of you guys know how to do the Heimlich maneuver?
2: <laughs> I'm just
0: trying to shake
2: sh- if the doctor part. going to be helpful at all. Yeah, no, I, J- John, I got nothing. My, my doctorate is almost entirely useless.
1: Well, I I'm certified to do it virtually. So if you have a problem,
2: <laughs> I love it. All right,
0: here's a question that's popped up a couple of times in this uh, hour, John. And the, the question is: Are are these people that we're talking about, maybe never saved to begin with. A lot of my listeners like talking with Scripture, which I love. And in First John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not uh, all of us. So, maybe they never really came to saving faith.
1: Yeah, so that is... This is, uh, I think, a very important question, and I think it's – I'm I'm hesitating here because this is the question that I get uh, the most. And um, I would say in the the beginning of my response, and I'll try and keep it succinct, is that um, a couple things. One is that that's not what I was pursuing in this – in my study, right? So I, I took people at their word. And I realized as I was talking with them and certainly afterwards that it was clear to me, as best as I could discern, that, that a number of them had never come to know the Lord. So, so yes, I agree that there are people, and, and maybe the majority of people who have left the faith, uh, no longer identify as Christians, were never truly born again. So that's a real possibility. But what I would say uh, in response, I think this is maybe the most important thing, is that the very same problems, the very same hurdles or pitfalls that people who never leave the faith struggle with are the very same ones that people who do leave the faith struggle with. And I can give you just an example in, in my own life, right? So as I, as I read through these deconversion narratives, there were people who lost their faith and, and no longer were followers of Jesus anymore, and, and they went through many of the same struggles that I went through, and I didn't lose mine, and let's just assume because uh, a Christian can't lose their salvation. We'll assume that for the sake of the discussion. Um, maybe that's because I was truly saved, and, and maybe they weren't. But even if I hold to that, even if I think that a Christian could never lose their salvation, it's a work of God, and he has He has sealed me to the day of redemption, and the First John chapter 2 verse, if, if those are all applying to, to Christians and that someone can't lose their salvation— Um, It's still important to address the very same issues that cause those kinds of people, Christians, uh, to really stumble and come to the edge of apostasy, but not go over that edge. In the same way that when we do evangelism, when we do missions, when we do cross-cultural mission trips, we try and do everything we can to reduce the offense or to make the gospel uh, make more sense in a faithful way in those cultures— Paul does this all the time. To the Jews, he became a Jew. To the Gentiles, uh, he became a Gentile. Uh, he says in, in Timothy that he has done everything that he can so the elect might be saved, and he actually gets Timothy circumcised so Timothy wouldn't be a stumbling block for people to hear the gospel. So Timothy is, is, is a great example here of, of Paul um, saying, look, you know, even if someone can't lose their faith, um, and, and it's God who is sovereign in salvation, we want to do everything we can faithfully to to uh, remove roadblocks from people hearing the gospel. And I think we want to do everything we can to remove roadblocks from people persevering in their faith, even if they can't lose it. So that's the first thing I'd like to say, and I'll just let me stop there in case you guys wanted to jump in.
2: Yeah, no, I think there's. we'd love to hear more on that, John. I think even you're, you're surfacing what is a much more extended conversation for certainly a different time, that even our perceptions of where we're coming from when we ask that question are probably going to either be knowingly or unknowingly be anchored in some theological figure in history, whether God has done all the work, whether we fe- freely choose and respond—like what's even all involved with that, right? I mean, I hear it kind of laced throughout your answer, where people are probably anchoring themselves theologically.
1: Yeah, that's correct, and and that kind of brings us to the to the first John passage. And in the first John passage, um, this is the verse that I hear most often. And um, it, it, I want to say this very gently and and very charitably. Um, often, I. feel I think I sense, and I couldn't be wrong, that this verse is being used to almost dismiss the problem, or actually to sort of deflate a potential fear. That says, "Well, look, I don't have to worry about this. I'll never walk away, and my kids will never walk away because I know that they're really saved." And First John is a guarantee, ironclad promise that only those who were never truly saved renounce their faith. And 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 sometimes I. F- Feel as though it's a bit of a of a reaction to this topic, and and, and a way to sort of make ourselves feel better like, that we don't have to worry about about this. And and if John is writing about truly born again folks, um, then then maybe that is an ironclad promise that we don't have to worry about. The problem with proof texting these really complex and intricate theological issues is that we could also do that on the other side. And we could say, Jesus said, I'm telling you these things now so that later your faith won't fail you. And you could say, oh, well, Jesus is saying the disciples' faith could fail. Or you could look at Hebrews 6 or Hebrews 10. And so I think just appealing to one verse is is, is a, a sort of a thin basis to mm-hmm. to to make the argument that these people weren't saved, specifically when— John writes about these people that they were antichrists, deceivers, liars, and false prophets. And I'm often talking about people who were in full-time ministry who have lost their faith in tears because they no longer have the ability to believe but wish they could. For example, a gentleman has contacted me and has asked me if he can come out and visit with me sometime in the fall because he wants to be a Christian. He wants the gospel to be true he just can't bring himself to intellectually believe that it's true. And I think that's a different kind of a category than the person in First John chapter 2.
0: John, of all the research you've done and people you've interviewed, is there a particular uh, person that, whose story has shocked you more than the others?
1: Um, they actually shock me less and less now yeah. than when they originally did. The person who shocked me the most, though, wasn't um, anyone who's a celebrity or anyone who's well-known. It was a a gentleman who, when I was doing my doctoral research on this, when I interviewed him, I felt as though I was almost talking to a carbon copy of myself or a mirror copy of Mm -hmm. myself. And that was the hardest because when I got off the phone after talking with him and feeling like there was this kindred spirit and there was so many things in common, history, background, uh, similar struggles, I said to myself, so... Am I I remaining a Christian because uh, I have this confirmation bias and I want it to be true, and he's the one who's really intellectually honest, or is he not wanting to be a Christian anymore, and, and, and I'm the one who's being honest? And so that was the hardest part. That was the hardest interview I think I've done.
2: John, it, we just have a couple minutes left here, so I'm just kind of curious. In, in all of this, it can be discouraging, but I'm guessing that there are tremendous stories of hope, too. I mean, if God is a God who wills that none would perish or desires that none would perish, that do we underestimate maybe that God is is really going with such fervency after the one uh, like, we, like we like to think he might be doing?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think that that's great. I, you know, the, the next book I write should be something called, like, Revangelicals because uh, <laughs> people who— who for sure are are returning and and they don't, you know, there's not a website where you can just continually post and post and post these stories, but, but there are people who are starting to say, Hey, I left and I came back and in the, in the last minute, let me give you one just really encouraging example. So I ended up interviewing a woman named Lauren. Lauren was a a very active national speaker for the secular student Alliance, which is the anti-campus crusade across the United States on university campuses she was um, finishing her PhD on deconversion as well. She was writing it from a pro atheist perspective, and she was uh, identified as a former Christian. She came from a rough background. She got saved uh, at a youth group retreat, and then for the next uh, four or five years, she was deeply involved in uh, her church. She started to uh, do do an internship where she would get onto the uh, leadership of the, the youth program. Eventually, became an, uh, a youth leader. She. Uh, helped plant two other churches and uh, was part of the worship team and uh, and by all accounts very very committed to wanting to be a follower of Jesus through a really terrible set of circumstances that came her way and the way that she was treated by um, the church that she was a part of she went through a faith crisis and she lost her faith she had a daughter and uh, had to support her and to make a very long story short she ended up making over 200 adult films Oh, wow she wrote an article about how the church where's the real family of God the, the the church or the community of porn mm. and uh, she, she she concluded that it was the, it was the porn community because of the way they treated her and the way that she was treated by the church so in, in, wow. in the last year, in the last year and a half, her daughter has gone through almost a near-death experience where she overdosed on heroin. Lauren cried out to God to save her. her daughter had flatlined. And then they ended up bringing her back, and Lauren said, I told God that if he brought my daughter back that I would be his again. And Mm -hmm. she said, uh, you know, all of my my rebellion against God was just really anger. It wasn't that I didn't really believe he was there, but it was just anger. And and now she identifies as a follower of Jesus again. That's a powerful story.
0: We're out of time, John. We just have enough time for you as a Canadian to hear you mispronounce the words out and about. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, it's been great to be on the show today, but, um, you know, it's been about something I'm really interested
0: in. Thanks a lot. I'm going to
1: head out. All right. right.
0: That's all the time we have. Have a great (laughs) night, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.